be reading from 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not ready to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. You are still fleshy. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshy, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not just mere men? For what then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. So neither the one who planted nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Now he who planted and he who waters, but each will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Let's pray together. Father, please now speak to us clearly through your word and through the planting and watering that's going to happen in this, these next minutes. Please cause growth uh, individually uh, as each of us, as your son or daughter and as a church. We ask for your supernatural work to be done among us now through your word. So please help me, give me your words to say, and help us all to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. One fact about God that will very much help you understand the Bible and your own life and what God is doing in creation and what God is doing in the church is that God glorifies God. God glorifies God. Okay, in his work of creation and in his work of creating and developing the church, he glorifies himself. And he does everything that he does in such a way to bring himself glory. Anything else would be idolatry, wouldn't it? If God decided that he was going to do a work among Doolin's Grove in such a way that it, it glorified, let's say Mike Boston, he, I, he's just the one my eyes hit. Let's say if he decided I'm going to do a work among Doolin's Grove and it's going to be amazing and it is going to lift up Mike Boston. Everybody's going to say, Mike Boston is such a great leader or teacher or whatever, printer. That would be idolatrous. Okay, God is not going to glorify anyone above himself. The best thing that God can do for us is glorify himself. And it will help you understand your life. It will help you understand the Bible, why the Bible is so much more about God than it is about me and you. Because God is about glorifying God. That's going to help us as we think about church as well. And I think about church all the time. Um, I'm sure I think about church more than you do because you've got your vocations and your families and your pressures. Uh, my vocation and my family and my pressure is all about church all the time. Um, it is just about all I think about. And uh, I'm reading books and I'm praying and I'm, I would love to see us grow. I would love to see us grow. I would love to see us grow even deeper, spiritually mature. 
I would love to see those who are orbiting around the fringes of Doolin's Grove. Maybe they're here on Sunday, maybe they're not, but otherwise they're not really ingrained in, in the fellowship. Um, I would love to see those grow ingrained into the fellowship. I would love to see those who I, I know don't really read their Bibles, aren't really growing individually as Christians. I would love to see them get rooted into this and begin to grow and flourish. I would love to see us make disciples. I would love to hear constant stories of the people you're sharing the gospel with at work and in your homes and, and people coming to Christ and us filling this baptistry up every Sunday. I would love to be baptizing people and seeing new disciples made and grow. And then those disciples go out and make more disciples. I really, really want this. And we have to understand, because I believe many of you want this too, that if God is going to do any kind of work among us, he's going to do it in such a way that it brings him glory. Because God glorifies God. And he definitely, especially glorifies himself in the church and how he establishes it and builds it. So with that in mind, today we return to 1 Corinthians for the summer. Uh, we've been working our way through Mark, and we'll return to Mark as we get close to Christmas. But it's, uh, believe it or not, in contrast to the temperature this morning, uh, we're heading into summer. and So we're going to return to 1 Corinthians and, and spend our summer there. Um, you may remember a little bit about 1 Corinthians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was deeply troubled. And one of their troubles was division. And the division was caused because people in the church were breaking into separate factions and groups because some of them followed Paul and some of them followed Apollos, uh, who was a gifted teacher in the church. And so they were like jealous of each other and arguing. And they had, I guess they'd made up like team jerseys. I'm team Paul and I'm team Apollos. And they made fun of each other. I don't know exactly how it exhibited itself, but they were divided over who they thought was the better church leader. And it was causing real issues. And so Paul is writing to them, trying to explain this church and God's work among you has nothing to do with these guys in terms of glory. You ought to just be glorifying God together, not any man, not any leader. And it's pretty well summed up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. And I'll just read th this little bit just to catch you up, get you back up to speed so we can pick up with our passage for today. Paul's writing to these Christians who are bickering about who's the best. And he says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So in other words, the way God builds a church is by using unlikely people, weak people to do strong things, so that nobody can point to those people and say, man, those people are strong, or those people are wise. Or those people are glorious. But so they could point to those people and say, how did that happen? There's no reason that motley crew, that group of, of people should be spreading and growing their church and the gospel through this city, this country, this world. The only explanation must be that God is real and good and powerful. 
So he goes on to say, And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, Let let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So all boasting should just be about the Lord and what he has done, like our testimony time. Uh, That testimony time would have been really a perversion of a testimony time if folks had come up and started to to praise me as the pastor. I just want to take a minute and praise Matt because he is such a visionary leader. That has never been a temptation for us, luckily, during testimony times. But that, that would not have been right. The praise goes to God. Praise goes to the Lord. The boasting is all in the Lord, not in any man. So, with that truth locked into place, we're going to pick up with 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. So Paul is still working on this problem of people basically worshiping Paul and worshiping, worshiping Apollos. And he's going to challenge them, okay, you think these guys are so great. Some of you think Paul's great. Some of you think Apollos is great. Let's really think about these men for a second. And that's how he begins verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? I think it's significant that he doesn't even say who is Apollos or who is Paul. It's like they're not even so great that they deserve that kind of humanity in this discussion. What even is Apollos? What is Paul? What are they? So Apollos, if you'll recall, is a really gifted teacher. Really gifted teacher. He gained a real following because his teaching was just so dynamic, so deep, so, I don't know if it was creative and clever. I don't know what made it so great. But if he were teaching you right now, you would be on the edge of your seat. You would not be yawning. Kids would not be wondering how much longer. You would not be wondering if you're, what's that smell? that they're, What are they cooking for lunch in there? You would be riveted. So he's a really good teacher. Paul, most of you know who Paul is. Paul is this guy who had an amazing testimony. He used to participate in the killing of Christians. And then God dramatically converts him on the road. So he's got an awesome testimony. He is the probably the greatest and most prolific missionary and church planner um, to date. And probably still in history, the most influential missionary evangelist church planter. He's the one that first brought the gospel to Corinth and established this church. Okay, so these are two heavy hitter church leaders. Okay, in terms of esteem in the church, maybe you could picture Billy Graham in modern day language. So what is Apollos? What is Paul? What is Billy Graham? Or whoever your hero may be, uh, the greatest pastor you've ever had in your history. What is that guy really when you think about it? Well, his answer in verse 5 is servants. Servants through whom you believed. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. What is this great teacher? What is this great missionary, evangelist, church planner? Servants. That's it. And the word there is, it means like table waiter. It's like the waiter that you get at Applebee's or Chili's or wherever you may go. That's all. Just servants. You know, if you go to a restaurant 
and you splurge, it's your anniversary or something, or birthday, and you splurge, you go to a great restaurant, and they bring the food out, and it is just awesome. It's a big steak, and it's perfect. And all the fixings, everything is just perfect. Some of you, your stomachs are just like in knots, growling right now, thinking about this perfect meal at this restaurant. Now, who deserves the glory from that? The waiter? He didn't cook that. She didn't cook that. They just brought it out to you and gave it to you. Now, maybe they did that well, but ultimately, they did not affect the quality of that meal. Okay, or for the kids in here, if your mom has slaved away making dinner and she's been working for hours making dinner and it's ready and it's on the table and it's steaming hot and she sends the older sibling to go and shout to the younger sibling, it's dinner time. And the older sibling goes and says, it's time to come eat, go wash your hands. And then they come to the dinner table and it's your perfect meal. Whatever kids you wish that your parents would make every night of the week, probably for my kids, pizza, is that what Elisha's whispered? Cheeseburgers, okay. It's just cheese. It's just your plate is a pyramid of cheeseburgers. Who deserves the glory for that? Okay, in my household, if I sent Lillian to go tell Elias, dinner's ready and mom made a cheeseburger pyramid, does Lillian get the glory for that? No, Elias, <laughs> who said that? Incorrect. No, Elias would likely shove Lillian out of the way to get to the cheeseburger pyramid. Lillian is just the delivery system for the news of the cheeseburger pyramid. Am I right? Take that as a yes. No, mom deserves the glory. She created it. So in Christianity, if you look back in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, look at what God has cooked up for us as the chef here. It says, because of God, you, if you're a Christian, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, what that means is Christ Jesus has become wisdom from God. So now you have divine wisdom in Christ Jesus. You can see the world through God's eyes in Christ Jesus. You have God's word. Like C.S. Lewis says, now that he's a Christian, he can see everything. It's like the sun. He doesn't believe in the sun because he can look at the sun. He believes in the sun because By the sun, he sees everything else. And now in Christ, you see everything in light of God. You have divine wisdom. He goes on, righteousness. So in Christ Jesus, you have his righteousness imputed to you, given to you. His record becomes your record. If you're in Christ Jesus, no matter your sins, no matter if you kick the dog this morning in frustration on your way out the door to get to church, Shout it at your kids in the car this morning because you're running late. No matter your sins, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are innocent in God's eyes because Jesus' innocence is imputed onto you. Wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are set apart, set aside as holy unto the Lord. Some of you might remember in the old days, playing out on the playground, getting picked for the team, or getting not picked for the team, as some of you may remember. In Christ Jesus, you have been picked for God's team. You have been picked, selected, set apart, sanctified, made holy. And then he mentions there in verse 30, also redemption. 
You've been redeemed. You've been purchased from sin and Satan and returned to your rightful owner, God himself. And you can add to that adoption into God's family. You can add to that forgiveness of your sins. You can add to that propitiation, which is a big theological word. That that means Jesus has absorbed God's right wrath against your sin for you. You have all of that in Christ Jesus. And God is the one that cooked that up. Paul, he's he's just a waiter. He just brought that to you. Apollos, he just brought that to you. Billy Graham, he just shouted down the hall, God has prepared this for you. Come, wash your hands and get it. Just servants. We don't need to get all worked up over any church leader. We don't need to get worked up over any missionary, evangelist, church planner, podcast host, author. Just servants. Not a big deal. God is the big deal. Now, God cooks this up. And then he assigns to each. That's what it says there in verse 5. He assigns waiters. Okay, you've got table 5. You've got table 6. You've got table 7. Go out there. Serve this up. Uh, He grabbed me and said, Matt, you've got table Doolin's Grove. Go out there and just tell them what I've cooked up and invite them to dinner. Uh, Out at Shiloh, he got Travis Hutchison and said, Travis, you take Shiloh. Go out there and tell them. Um, And then I'll give you some teachers and other folks to help you distribute this meal of salvation that I have cooked up. Now, he gives another image to help us understand this. He moves from the waiter image to the farmer image there in verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So Paul planted. He came in evangelism and as a missionary and Um, establishing this church, and he's like a farmer planting seeds. And then Apollos, God brought Apollos in to teach, and his teaching was like watering those seeds, you know, making sure they're nourished and, and have a chance to thrive. And these men worked hard, and they worked well planting and watering. But God gave the growth. God gave the growth. So Paul did not grow the church. Apollos did not grow the church. The planting did not grow the church. The watering did not grow the church. In this sense, it's right to say that the evangelism did not grow the church. The church planting did not grow the church. The mission work did not grow the church. The teaching did not grow the church. God grew the church. God grew the church. And if a true church grows, God is the one behind it. If you think about an actual farmer actually planting, God gave those seeds. God gave them the water in the water jug. God gave the plot of land. And God causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall. Ultimately, behind the hard work of the farmer are all the mechanisms and processes of God. And so what's the point? What is Paul's point in verse 7? So, because of this, neither he he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. Compared to God, Apollos, Paul, Billy Graham, Matt Broadway, 
whoever your preaching hero is, your favorite author, compared to God in this process of growing a church and establishing a church, they're, they're not really anything. They don't rank at all. It's God's work. Now, I want to draw to a close thinking about the implications of all this for us. Because I don't believe we're splitting apart because we have different factions um, lining up behind different church leaders who they think are the best. So that's not an immediate application for us. But there are two applications I think that we can take away from this that will be helpful. The first one, trust God to grow the church. Trust God to grow the church. Our church and the church with a capital C across the world. Trust God to grow the church. Because God is going to do it, and he's going to do it in such a way that it brings him glory. There in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31, after talking about the way God has gone about establishing this church, it says that he did it so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. He does things the way he does them in the church so that we'll boast in him. A little later on in chapter 2, verse 5, he's talked a little bit more about how God has used him to establish the church. And he says that God did it this way through me so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God very much wants us looking to him, relying on him, trusting in him for our growth spiritually and our growth as a church. Everything about the church is so supernatural anyway, we'd be fools to think that we could bring it about. It's so supernatural. I, many of you know I'm still working my way through classes to finish a degree that I started in like 2004. And I was taking a theology class last semester and part of that was studying the church, the theology of the church. And I was just blown away all over again with how utterly supernatural it all is. It's a miracle. Everything about the church is a miracle. Think about individual salvation, what a miracle that is. Individual salvation is not me convincing you with with some logical arguments and then you saying, well, you got a point. Okay, I'm in. It's a spiritual corpse coming to life. It's, It's resurrection. I've told you this before, but there's a guy named D.L. Moody who was uh, teaching a group of students who were going to become pastors preaching. And at one of the class sessions, he took them on a field trip to a graveyard, a cemetery. And he assigned each young, soon-to-be preacher a different grave plot and told them to go out there. He had had them prepare a sermon. And he told them to go out there with their sermon notes and preach that sermon to that grave plot, to the corpse beneath the dirt. And so they did it because it was their teacher. And then he explained afterwards, that's basically what's happening when you're preaching the gospel, giving the gospel to people out there. And for them to receive it and to be spiritually ignited and, and made alive and born again, created anew, is just as miraculous as if that corpse dug its way through the earth and stood there receiving the word. It is miracle stuff. If this word is going to have an impact in your life and your heart, it's not because I preached it so well. Thank God for that. 
it's because God is doing something supernaturally in your heart. If you're feeling him speaking to you now, it is supernatural. And then think about it bigger, not just as individuals, but as the church, how miraculous it is. You know, when God builds his church, when he gathers us like this together, okay, and I believe that he's the one that brought us all together. The Bible teaches that we form the body of Christ. We are like the body of Christ. We're not just like a civic club. We are united together in in a way that we can't fully understand. You know, our church split a while back. The reason that's so painful is because we're not just a civic club that can branch out into two different branches. We were one. It's like a marriage splitting apart. It's all so miraculous. It's all so supernatural. So we should trust in God to build his church. The second thing to take away, and the last thing, first, trust God to grow the church. Second, work hard to serve. Work hard to serve. He uses the image of servants like table waiters and farmers. Yeah, I've waited tables before. Has anybody in here ever waited tables before? Okay, I found that to be really hard work. Okay, my, my restaurant was Olive Garden, and I found it to be really hard work. You have to be vigilant. You have to be on the ball. You have to be obedient and subservient to basically everybody, and you're constantly moving and making sure that needs are met. You have to work hard to be a servant. Farming? That's not easy work. I reconnected with a guy I went to high school with several years back and found out that he's a farmer now. He sort of is taking on the family farm. And man, that guy works hard. He works from before sunup to after sundown virtually every day of the year. Because if he doesn't, he'll get behind and the crops will suffer. So Paul and Apollos worked hard planting and watering. The word used there... In verse 8, where it says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. That word labor is an arduous word. It means laborious toil. It can even mean trouble. Um, it, it has the idea of involving weariness and fatigue. So trust God to build the church, but that doesn't mean we just sit back and wait and watch. Because he has given us assignments each. And he expects us to work hard. And he will glorify himself through giving the church growth through the means of our service, our planting, our watering. So we should be excited because he's doing supernatural things and exhausted because we are working so hard in obedience to him. Our hands should be dirty with planting and watering and sharing the gospel and encouraging the people around us, building them up in the gospel. And our eyes should be to the sky to see God come out like the sun and just causing growth. God glorifies himself by growing the church through our service. So let's trust him to grow the church and let's work really hard to serve. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for everything you have prepared for us in Christ Jesus. It is so lavish and so much more than we deserve. And we give you all the glory for it.
and all the gratitude. And I pray that you would show us our assignments as individuals and our assignment as a church. And help us to roll up our sleeves and to work hard as servants, as farmers, as laborers for the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.